I think it's fantastic to see innovation of the space, whether it's from a realtor, broker, lender perspective that, you know, benefits the end user. But at the end of the day, there's still plenty of opportunity for, you know, a win-win-win for borrower, broker, and lender, right? Yeah. And I think it really comes back to whether you're using a platform like lender bidding or whether you're going, you know, the the old school route of dealing with a mortgage broker, the exit strategy is key at the end of the day when you're talking private lending, right? So if the exit strategy is strong and it plays out as expected, you're going to get a win for all parties involved. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in to the Canadian Private Lenders Podcast, the show about starting a private lender in Canada, the mortgage industry, and the real estate industry. Your hosts are Neil Andrino and Ryan McNeil. Enjoy. All right, everybody. Welcome back to episode two, the Canadian Private Lenders Podcast. I'm your co-host, Ryan McNeil, here with my good buddy and co-host, Neil Andrino. Hello, everybody. How are you doing, Neil? I'm pretty good. You know, we're just getting set up. It's a little late, but I got the ring light shooting in my face. I got to get some more pictures in the background. You have a a nice setup going. I just have... I got the full East Coast uh, back here representing... Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> biggest six urban centers. Yeah. We're trying to shine the spotlight on Atlantic Canada a little bit here. That's a good call. I should probably get something here like a Nova Scotia or something. I like it. But I just have a, a cheesy, it all starts with a dream poster and a Lamborghini in the in the shadows. Nothing wrong with a good inspirational quote to keep you motivated, right? <laughs> so today, before we jump into anything, what's our topic for today? I'll get you to introduce that. Okay. Topic today is going to be just basically different types of private lending. So a couple of major structures there. But before we started, uh, to your point, Neil, we're going to quickly touch on some news here. Yeah. Do you want me to kick it off? Well, I was going to hit you with this first, because again, I'm newer to this industry. You, you, you've you been a part of it. You've watched it grow. You've been a part of growing in it. And you know it fairly intimately. And so for me, I'm now in like the obsessive trying to learn mode, which is constantly reading the news. I'm a bit of a fear-mongering type for those who know me. And so the first thing that I found that caught my eye is an article about a site called Lender Bidding. And it basically says Lender Bidding cuts out the middleman. And when they're saying middleman, they're kind of suggesting brokers as well as us in some sense because they're saying they're eliminating the fee on our end. We would still originate the loan, but we'd eliminate the fee. And so for anyone who's completely new to this, a private loan, any loan actually, when you do it through a mortgage broker, includes a fee. Some of the banks will cover their fee and or not necessarily allow an additional fee, but most will say, yeah, you can charge a fee. And because of that, mortgage brokers will charge anywhere from 1% to 2% on average. Sometimes it's a little bit more depending on the, on the scenario and potentially sometimes it's a little bit less. And so with most private loans, the broker has to charge his fee. And then additionally, to cover the administration costs and then basically the burden of moving in and setting up the money with the loan, the lender also charges a fee on that. And so, again, lender bidding is basically saying that we're going to set up a consumer portal where people can go direct to these lenders without a mortgage broker and get a loan. And as part of being on lender bidding, they also don't allow the mortgage originators, the private lenders, to charge a fee at the same time. And so it saves somebody 2 3%, maybe more on their loan, which to me sounds great. I mean, like if you think if you're borrowing 500000 bucks, you could save $10,000, $15,000. 
like, do you think this is going to take over the market? Like, is this going to change the game? And is it going to get to the point where we never speak to a client again? We're just looking at a screen and there's a million applications and we're like, yep, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Okay, cool. And we don't charge fees. We just make it on the rate or where do you see it going? Yeah, it's certainly an interesting platform. Full disclosure, I've dealt with the guys at Lender Bidding before a bit um, in my past time at Fraysebrook and the guys that operate this business, Oscar and Jason, uh, both great guys, tons of experience in private lending in the past. And just a slight correction, Neil, on what you were saying, they, they are definitely cutting out the broker in this transaction. Yes. And they're getting the best pricing to the clients, which is absolutely fantastic. Lenders can still charge a fee on this. It's just that it's an auction platform, right? So you have to be competitive if you want to win the deal and you're blind bidding. So you don't know what the next private lender is charging. And I think the article referenced that they usually get, I think it was maybe seven to 10 lenders who bid on any given deal. It might have been a bit, been a little bit more than that. So chances are, you know, someone's going to get pretty aggressive pricing on this. Maybe less so in today with the raising rates, but. You know, you're certainly better off approaching it from this direction from a client perspective, where you know you're canvassing multiple different lenders at once, and the client, the borrower, also stays completely confidential. So there's nothing, there's information on their profile, but they don't know actually who the borrower is until they've already made the bid as well. Okay, so then there's an underwriting process. So that doesn't mean they're actually getting the loan. It's part of their bid. It shows. Like, still need to qualify under these five underwriting criteria? Exactly. You got it. So basically, you'd say, if we did this deal, this is the rate we charge, this is the fee we charge, but we're going to require this documentation to confirm that we want to proceed on this loan. Understood. Okay. Yeah. So it's the same as you'd approach any other loan. It's basically just getting more competitive pricing is their goal and cutting out brokers. Sorry, what were you going to say, though? No, no, I was just going to say, like, as a consumer... How are you approaching this? Does it just automatically match you to the cheap? Like you just choose the cheapest or like I would see five options. I'd pick the one that I feel is the best for me and then go through the process with them. The lender bidding guys like help coach the clients through the process is my understanding. So they essentially act as the broker. They do charge, I think, 99 basis points. So it's, you know, it's less than a point. To your point, Neil, I think most private deals end up being, you know, one and a half, two points from a broker perspective. It really depends on the broker uh, multitude of factors, but I'm just kind of talking in averages. I kind of want to try this out. <laughs> yeah, it's a cool platform, and especially, I mean, it's definitely less relevant in Atlantic just because of the relative size of our market. But in Ontario, it made a ton of sense. And we were with Graysbrook, we were a new lender getting into Ontario, and it was a perfect way for us to cut into the market, right? We had, yeah. we had certain pricing thresholds we had to hit, and you know, we definitely weren't the most competitive pricing in the market, but Sometimes we were able to position ourselves and the deal was a good fit for us and we had competitive enough pricing and we connected on it. I, I definitely put together some deals through this platform. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. One thing I will mention, and I think the article touched on it a little bit. Some of the downside though in, in cutting out brokers, costs is not necessarily equivalent to value. Yeah. And especially, you know, having experience in the alternative and private lending space. Value is required in a lot of situations, right? So I've worked with countless excellent brokers who coach their clients through the whole process, right? They say, you know, you need to go private right now. And I know that's going to be expensive or more expensive than you want it for this period of time. But if you do X, Y, and Z over the next six months, 
you're going to be able to refinance to a B lender or a credit union, or maybe you're going to go straight to an A or traditional lender at that point. And that's going to help them minimize that time frame where they're paying you know, a higher rate or a fee and therefore minimize their costs. Yeah, no, 100%. This is, to me, it reminds me of a lot of the platforms that have come out to replace realtors. And everyone's been like, oh, this is going to completely replace realtors, especially because we charge to sell a home 5%. Like it's, it's a huge fee plus tax. And we're all getting the full amount of the home value. So it's definitely a high dollar figure when it does take place. But there's an intrinsic value that we provide that unfortunately an AI or a robot or just a website's not going to give someone. And even someone that's getting paid a, a base salary to manage you, your manager expectations, like they're not going to be there to handle all the, the scenarios that are involved in basically managing the emotions in, involved in it. And loans are just the same. Like there's a ton of emotions. And there's also all the this specifications and unique situations of every scenario that I don't think you can just replace and put on a piece of paper. And so again, I, I see what you're saying. It I do think as a whole, a lot of these systems are going to become more automated, but it's going to be for clean or simple deals. And I think the unique situations, the unique deals are still going to require somebody. And I even see now, like I'm working on some stuff and like when you're busy doing things, you only have so much capacity. And so like if you have to go on here and chase down loans and do all the, all the work, and then you you pick the cheapest one, but it doesn't work out, then you have to go back on there and do it again. And you got to reapply with the next person and go through the systems. Whereas if you have a broker, they're going to apply to all five of those, see which two or three can, get, can give you an option, bring you the options and say like, look, based on your situation, this is what's going to work best for you to get us through this. And I can take you out on the other end. Absolutely. So I guess I, I can see that. I do think it's getting to be pretty neat where you can almost buy a house. You don't really need to meet the lawyer. Like it does feel like with technology now, we should be able to do all of this. But again, I think the part that is not being considered is the amount of emotion that's involved in all of the decisions in real estate simply because the dollar values are so high. Couldn't agree more. I think it's fantastic to see innovation of the space, whether it's from a realtor, broker, lender perspective that you know benefits the end user. But at the end of the day, there's still plenty of opportunity for you know a win-win-win for borrower, broker, and lender, right? Yeah. And I think it really comes back to whether you're using a platform like lender bidding or whether you're going you know the the old school route of dealing with a mortgage broker. The exit strategy is key at the end of the day when you're talking private lending, right? So. If the exit strategy is strong and it plays out as expected, you're going to get a win for all parties involved. Yeah. And it's hard, it's hard to pick that up on a one-line application or a few pieces of paper. Totally. What do you got for me? You said you had a few articles as well? Nope. No other articles. That was it for today. Just wanted to get into a little bit more on um, different types of private lending. So why don't I kick this off and you can you know feel free to jump in with any questions or anything, Neil. So... There's kind of two main buckets from a private lending perspective. There's direct private lending, yep. and there's more of the fund or the MIC, Mortgage Investment Corporation, or just I'll call it Mortgage Investment Entity, because it can be a MIC or a, sorry, a corporation or a trust or a syndication, right? So I'm kind of going to group those three things together. But let's start with direct private lending. So Direct private lending is essentially when the lender essentially brokers a deal between an investor and a borrower. Okay. So they're actually bringing the investor in to lend the funds directly to a client. Okay. So this could be any situation. You could have a loan in Halifax or Moncton or whatever, and the lender 
picks it up and says, okay, I have this opportunity, Mr. Investor. It's 65% loan to value. Here's the client's credit profile. Here's the story why they need private funds. Here's the anticipated exit strategy in 12 months. And we're going to charge $1,199 and a 3% fee on this given deal. Would you like to do it? And so the investor then reviews and basically says, yes, lender, I would like to do this and puts their money in place. And basically, typically in this structure here, the investor slash the one who's becoming the lender would take all of the rate, all of the interest rate. So that 1199 would be paid to this investor over the year. Yep. Okay. So essentially 12% over 12 months, they'd be making 1% a month on whatever the loan balance is. That 3% fee would go to the the originator, whoever found this loan. I'm kind of confusing here with the terms, but the lender, the private lender would then get that. And that would be what would drive their revenue, would be the fee income coming in in this situation. Okay. Effectively a broker. Effectively a broker. That's really what you're doing in this. And I know a lot of brokers operate this way as well, especially in Ontario. It's extremely popular in Ontario for brokers to operate their own private lending arms there. And it's just another income stream for them. It tends to work a little bit differently in Atlantic and other areas. I'm not 100% sure if it's more common that way out west or not. But I know in Atlantic, that's a little bit less common for direct private lending. But there's tons of you know mom and pops out there that operate this way, right? That know a good broker or someone who operates as a direct private lender, and they're able to put out their, their half million or million dollars and recycle that on an annual basis. Yeah. I, mean, I think you saw in places like Ontario and BC... A lot of people have made a ton of money on real estate. A lot of them have big home equity lines of credit. And for the last so many years, they've been sub 4 or 5%. And so like, well, if I can make 7 8% on money that's not doing anything for me anyways, I might as well go for it, right? So that's an interesting model. And we've come, I've come across a lot of people in the last few months that have done that in some capacity and have reached out to to do that with us. I mean, that's not our model, but... It's an interesting business, but to me, it felt very much like a brokerage and less like an actual private lending institution. Like it's just more you're connecting people versus actually really managing and administering loans. Yep, absolutely. So I'll, I'll jump over to the second type here. So more of uh, I don't know if I want to call this the traditional way or not, but it's very popular in Canada now. Mortgage investment corporations, mortgage investment trusts, syndication loans, or just fund structures in general. So. Basically, it's relatively straightforward. Rather than the investor investing in an individual loan, you invest in a pool of mortgages instead. So you're much more diversified across. Okay. So if your private lender is in Ontario, maybe they only invest across Ontario, or maybe they just focus on the GTA or Southwestern Ontario. You can kind of kind of figure out where your comfort level is geographically and kind of choose where to match up from that perspective. Or maybe it's Atlantic Canada as well. But it's a great way to diversify in the private lending space. You do have lower risk than you would in direct private lending because, of course, direct private lending, if that one borrower defaults or has any delinquency on the loan, you're left to eat that out of your anticipated return. Whereas with a fund structure or mortgage investment corporation, you're diversified across a pool. So yes, you may have one or two loans that default out of the 100 or 200 that are in this portfolio, but that's not going to drastically affect your return on an annual basis. And most of these structures would set basically an anticipated return, maybe call that, you know, 8% to 8.5% on average. 
And you would basically get this on a monthly or quarterly distribution, depending on how they're structured. And then there may be some adjustments at the end of the year, depending on how well or how poorly the mortgage investment corporation or trust performed. Okay. So that's kind of the the way to look at that. And then from a, a lender perspective, how the lender makes money on this is that it's somewhat similar in that most of the interest would lie inside of this mortgage investment corporation. Yeah. And I should also mention as well, an, an investor actually owns shares in the mortgage investment corporation. So they're actually a shareholder of this MIC, right? And then they get that return. The lender basically charges a fee or charges the fees to this MIC to operate it. And that's how they make their money. So typically any fees that are coming in on these loans, anything from origination fees or the lender fees, account setup fees, administration fees, insufficient fund fees or anything like that would all come to the lender themselves. Got it. And most structures within the MIC, if there's any delinquency or legal costs, that comes out of the return to the shareholders of the MIC. It really depends, but there's there's some, you know, there's some fluidity in terms of how they're structured. But that's kind of the macro view of how a mortgage investment corporation works. And I'll just quickly touch on syndication loans as well. That's kind of somewhat similar there, but basically you just have multiple institutions that are are signed onto a loan and you may have one one private lender who's putting out their paper on it, but in the background, you know, the borrower wouldn't even realize, but there may be two or three different investors in this particular loan as a syndication. And, you know, investor A may own 60% and investor B may own 30 and investor C may own 10% of this loan. That happens in all scales. It absolutely does. And, you know, they may have different risk profiles. Maybe the investor A has, you know, lower risk. Maybe they only own 50% of the 65% loan to value and then they get a lesser return. Same as you would in any larger, you know, with tranches and, and so on or second position mortgages. It's somewhat similar to that as well. But, um, that's just another, another opportunity for revenue streams in the, the private lending space. Yeah, for sure. As, uh, so going back to the original, like a, a direct lens scenario, is there anything protecting? Like, so let's say I give the person my five hundred thousand, they lend it out. If the, if the borrower defaults, is there any sort of like recourse on the broker that originally did it, or is he's like, no, like I brought you the deal, you reviewed it and approved it yourself? Because I feel like then brokers will just get their like, is there fee? Like, is there anything, or is it like you're assuming all the risk? My understanding is the the lender slash investor would be assuming all the risk. I don't think there'd be any recourse back other than maybe assisting with the enforcement piece of that. It probably depends on how they structured it. But if the investor is reaping all the benefits of the interest coming back and yeah. you know someone defaults on that, you know, they're probably gonna have to experience the downside as well. Interesting. Interesting. And then yeah, so and then the pooled funds. The return is made through they make a spread on the money plus fee. And like you said, it's it's all charged back to the actual management corp. The syndicate loans, I guess I first heard about those when I was looking. There was a project in Halifax and it was a five hundred million dollar project. And I guess whoever it was, BMO was like the headline on it. But then I was chatting with somebody there and they're like, no, no, like we took on 145 of it. And then each bank basically purchased a section of it and what portion of risk they were willing to take on to lend within that deal, which made a lot of sense to me because I was like, I couldn't believe that one bank would like put out the 500 mil on the one project. And I was like, man, that's a shit ton of exposure, even for a bank like those sizes, like 
they would feel that like on on a quarterly statement to their shareholders, if something went wrong, like that would have an impact on that statement. And so, yeah, I, that first introduced me. And now being in the private lending space, I think it takes place way more often than I think. And I think it's it's a win for most parties because it offers an ability, like you said, for the lenders to reduce their risk and their exposure. And then so it, it kind of spreads spreads it across. And then the ones that take on less risk get a lower return, but obviously they're comfortable with that because that fits their portfolio's mandate and goals. And the ones that are originating can charge a fee for putting it together. Yeah. But again, it's it's interesting being in here because as again, coming from the consumer side, it's just so like clean and simple where it's like, this is the bank. They've said yes. But then this is also why like when you're waiting for something to get approved, like what's going on? And it's like, well, no, they're actually going to market right now to get someone to syndicate on this deal for you. Like that's not probably not super common, but you know what I mean? Like there's so many avenues in the background of like, there's more to just like the basic underwriting than what it seems like, like, well, no, I have X credit score, the income, like what else is going on? I'm like, no, no, there's, there's a bunch of pieces in the background. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a little easier to justify when you're, you know, doing a half billion dollar uh, commercial project to take a bit of time (laughs) to put that financing together, that structure. But you know, when you're smaller like us doing mainly residential deals and, you know, speed is everything and service is everything too, you know, you got to turn that commitment around in, in a day max, right? So you better have your ducks in a row with any uh, of your syndication partners in that scenario. 100%. 100%. Okay. Well, I mean, that's the high level for the types of private lending. I think, and again, if, if you're listening to this episode, we're going to try and keep them kind of short and sweet and kind of make them more digestible. So hopefully you can get them listened and and get through the whole thing within, let's say, your drive to work. And it uh, again, well, as we populate things, there'll be lots there. So if you're on a long road trip and you you like listening to us, hopefully there's enough to keep you busy for the full length of the roadie. But um, yeah, I think that that's everything for today. So again, thanks for listening, guys. If there's something you want to hear about or there's something we need to do, uh, let us know. But uh, for now, thanks for listening. Thanks, everybody. Hey guys, it's Neil Andrino, your co-host and your co-founder at Keystone Capital and Director of Investor Relations. I'm also a real estate agent, real estate investor, and business owner. And your co-host here, Ryan McNeil. I'm the co-founder and president of Keystone Capital Group. Keystone Capital Group is licensed under the Mortgage Regulations Act of Nova Scotia, license number 3000549, and through FCMB, license number 88799. And keep in mind, the views of this podcast are for informational purposes only and is not financial advice.